sign. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, everything in between. Welcome back to the Underground. You are listening to the fourth episode of Pop Culture Underground. Unforgiving takes, passionate opinion on all things pop culture, news, reviews, media, and more from a fan just like you. Like I said, welcome to episode four. I am Jordan, your host, and guys, we have got a pretty exciting episode here, all things considered. Not a lot of things dropping on the Marvel front. Still, we are still waiting in the weeds for Marvel to drop some trailers or just some news or let's even, let's get a good rumor going, you know, a good solid fact-based rumor going because let me tell you, all the news is on the DC front. And I mean, I can't complain about that. I am a hardcore DC super fan, but I'm also a hardcore Marvel super fan. So it's kind of upsetting to see all this great DC stuff and get nothing from the Marvel side. But I think they are cooking up something. I think they saw the success of DC fandom and how it pulled in 22 million views. 22 million views worldwide. How awesome is that? Marvel's got to be looking at and saying, be looking at that and saying, oh my goodness, we've got to do something. We, we've got to answer. We've got to react. Or maybe not. Shit, Marvel just might be so confident in everything they've got going on that they can say, look, this is the this is the one chance that we're going to have to lay back and not have to put anything out for a little bit. So let's take a well-deserved break. I, I don't know. Either way, Marvel, get off your asses and bring us some news. Come on. I do have a little bit on the Marvel front, and I want to start this off with a quick disclosure on New Mutants. So on this show, I will normally be doing spoiler episodes on the big movies like Marvel's New Mutants, which uh, if you don't know the story of that, Marvel acquired Fox and New Mutants had uh, had already been filmed, pretty much done for the most part. They did go through and change a few things and rework it a little bit. Uh, and then we were actually wondering if we would ever even get this movie. I figured for sure they would just drop it on Hulu and I still think they should have done that. Uh, but but instead, they, they're opting for the theater release. So this thing does come out Friday, August 28th. And uh, honestly, guys, I think it's going to be a massive box office bomb. Um, I don't know. I think it could go one of two ways. It can either be a huge box office bomb because nobody wants to go to the theaters right now, especially for just this new Mutants movie, which has nothing to do with the MCU as a whole, as far as we know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like 99% sure of that. Or... It could go the other way where everybody has been starved for a movie in the movie theaters and they finally get a cool superhero slash horror film coming out here and maybe they all go in droves to go see it. I much more think that the former is going to happen and it will be a, a huge box office bomb. Uh, either way, I just think they really may have made a big mistake by trying to put this thing out in theaters um, I'm wondering if it does bomb so badly in theaters if they do just opt to go ahead and release it on streaming services. Now, once again, there may be some kind of rights problem with that. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe there's somewhere in the underlying fine print, Fox still, you know, the side of Fox that's still independent still has some kind of pull with this movie. And maybe that's why they're not able to put it out on Hulu or any of their streaming services like Disney+. Plus. I don't think this movie would go to Disney+, Plus anyways. I think it's way too off-brand for Disney+. Plus. Even though I do believe Disney+, Plus is moving more towards an adult-friendly section of that streaming service that they're going to be putting out. I mean, I'm, I'm almost certain of that. But, like I was saying before, I will normally start reviewing these movies 
in, in spoiler-free fashion and spoil-it fashion, but it looks like it's not going to be this one for now. Guys, I, I'm not... I have a pregnant wife who is uh, 17 weeks pregnant at this point. I have a two-year-old son and an eight-year-old son. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to bear the risk of going to a movie theater to go see New Mutants. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I don't, do not get me wrong. I'm excited to see this movie. Okay. I am, but I'm just, I'm not going to risk, you know, the Corona to go out there and bring it back to see New Mutants. Now, if this was Black Widow or if this was Shazam 2, or if this was the Suicide Squad, or, you know, if this was the Eternals, for sure. I will risk any pandemic to go see those movies. That is how much of a fan I am of these things, but I just can't do it here. However, I do have a New Mutants spoiler-free review for you that will be coming from THR, written by Jordan Mincer. So I do have that, and we will be discussing that in Marvel Weekly, and that is the only thing in Marvel Weekly this week. The other things we will be getting into this episode are, for DC Weekly, we will be discussing Batman Three Jokers, number one. I read it, we'll be giving you a spoiler-free review of it, and telling you if I think it's worth picking up. We've been waiting on this one for quite some time, anticipating it for, oh, I think a couple years now, I believe. Uh, Court of Owls, possibly in the Batman movie. Got some details on that. Starro in the Suicide Squad movie, maybe even being played by Taika Waititi. We've got some rumors, once again, rumors, not details, not confirmation, rumors about that right now. Justice League, the Snyder Cut release date may have been leaked. We're going to look into that a little bit. And then I also want to talk about these new McFarlane Toys DC Multiverse Dark Knights figures. McFarlane, I believe, has been knocking it out of the park with the DC figures, and I think they are doing it once again with these Dark Knights figures, which finally just came back into stock in a lot of places as they sold out very quickly when they initially launched. Not not uh, surprising there, right? And lastly, we're going to head on over to Pop C Weekly and talk about the Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War trailer and reveal. Let's go ahead and hit up DC Weekly! Kicking off DC Weekly this time is Batman, Three Jokers, number one. Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok's DC Black Label miniseries Batman Three Jokers really hits the ground running here. I mean, first off, this thing has been teased since before the start of DC Rebirth. I mean, think about that. And that was four years ago. So I guess it's been like four, five years in the making. Insane. Insane to think about. This comic sets up a great showdown between Batman... Batgirl, Red Hood, and the Three Jokers, and surprisingly, without a whole lot of monologue, it really flushes out these three distinct Jokers very well, I think, in the first comic, and it's actually really impressive to me how it flushes them out without going really, really into the three of them at all. I mean, first off, I want to mention that if you don't read comics on a regular basis, uh, you can definitely jump into this one. This one takes inspiration and continues on from Batman storylines that everybody knows. Killing Joke, it, you know, takes a, a nice sequel approach to that. Uh, Scott Snyder's Batman run, which is probably my all-time favorite Batman run. This thing really lays the groundwork, and I was actually surprised about how much of this story involves Red Hood and his relationship with one of the Jokers, and, man, I'm going to right off the bat give this thing, well, let's just use that. I'm going to give this thing five bats out of five. 
I really do not see much of a problem in this comic at all. I think it lays a good groundwork, and I think it's very obviously heavily inspired by Watchmen and Jeff Johns' recent Doomsday Clock. You get a lot of nine-panel pages here. Jason Fabok once again just knocks it out of the park with his art, and Brad Anderson does a great job with coloring. I think coloring goes unnoticed way too often in comic books, and I think it's very important that it's understood how important coloring can really be to a comic overall. So without spoiling this thing too much, you really go into starting this comic with three Jokers showing up at the same time, and nobody knows what the hell is going on. And I'm going to jump to the end here. There is an end surprise that will... It's going to blow your mind, but at the same time... It's, you kind of think about, man, how how did I like that? That's surprising, but it's not really surprising. But I don't want to get too much into it here because, of course, I don't want to spoil it. But I really don't have many negatives about this here. Not really at all. I mean, th- this comic is fittingly dark. Uh, Fabok, uh, one more thing on Fabok's artwork. The killing joke aspects of this one and the killing joke Joker that is one of the three Jokers looks like it comes right out of the pages of Killing Joke. I mean, it it is insane how well Fabok captured just the atmosphere of the Killing Joke Joker and put it all in his artwork. It's insane what great artists can do with their artwork. This thing is uh, deftly crafted. It is expertly paced. Three Jokers is a is just a perfect comic, in my opinion. It's a perfect balance with the opening issues, trauma and mystery and history and just the bat family dynamic is great uh you know there's there's a line in there where red hood is asking batgirl you know is this what you really wanted how how often do you ever miss and then just the emotions that you see from batgirl through jason fabok's art is just absolutely outstanding so once again batman three jokers it is definitely worth picking up five bats out of five five crowbars out of five five jokers out of five however you want to put it great comic Jason Fabok, artist of Batman 3 Jokers and many other DC comic books, just liked Popsy Underground's tweet. So I had tweeted earlier about doing this review and about Batman 3 Jokers, and I tagged him in it and said some other things, and uh, he liked that tweet. So you, you always gotta love it when a comic book artist, writer, any kind of celebrity of any kind likes your tweet. Gotta love it, right? So Batman 3 Jokers, 5 out of 5, great comic, pick it up. Now, could the Court of Owls possibly be in Matt Reeves' The Batman movie? On Saturday at DC Fandom, Warner Brothers debuted the first teaser trailer for The Batman as we talk about and broke down on our DC Fandom two-hour special. It was two episodes ago. Go check it out if you haven't. So, on Saturday, they dropped that teaser trailer. We talked about it. One thing that I had missed in my first few viewings of that trailer was possibly a Court of Owl hint. Now, we've already got a ton of villains for this movie already. We've already got a Joker-inspired street gang, a Catwoman, a Penguin, and most importantly, a Riddler who is all creepy and not at all goofy. While these villains will undoubtedly be the main ones Batman faces in this movie, uh, there could be a fifth threat that's integral to his planned trilogy, Reeves' planned trilogy, that is. He does have a trilogy planned out for this thing. Uh, the Court of Owls. So if they are going to be in this movie at all, and I'll talk about the hints I'm alluring to here in a second, but if they are going to be in this film at all, I would imagine it would be a very undertone, 
small setup role for a plot in the next movie or even his trilogy altogether. So what I'm talking about here, there is actually two hints that I noticed watching this trailer a million times and other people have been talking about as well. Uh, in here, in this trailer, there were multiple Riddler clues all throughout the trailer. And you know what? You got to see, I've seen some funny stuff on social media about how the Batman is going to have to solve all 275 or 300 Riddler clues to finish the movie like Batman Arkham Knight. <laughs> that was great. That was absolutely great. But all throughout these clues that he's dropping in these letters and stuff, there was one in particular that caught my eye and caught many others people eye as well. At one point, the trailer teases a shot of a clue held inside of a card. Now that card itself reads from your secret friend, and it very prominently features an owl with golden eyes that is asking who. Now, while the card itself does appear to be from the Riddler, the presence of an owl on its cover may be a sly tease about the Court of Owls. Hell, at the end of the movie, you, I mean, okay, let's talk about this for a second, actually, some, some, a theory that I have. And so the Riddler, I believe, very clearly knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. I think that's made evident at the end of the trailer when he is calling out Batman for, you know, about Batman being a part of this and Batman asking, you know, how am I a part of this? Well, if you know anything about the Court of Owls, and if you don't, I'm going to teach you a little bit about them here in a second. They know more about Bruce Wayne than Bruce Wayne himself knew. And if you remember that Court of Owls storyline, they talked about the Wayne family being corrupt, but they even hint at the Wayne family even possibly being a part of the Court of Owls who have been around since basically the beginning of time in Gotham. Now, I'm not going to tell you if they actually were or not in the end, uh, but that right there sounds a lot like the plot that Matt Reeves is pitching here in this new Batman movie. I mean, the Riddler says he knows who he is, so how, how does he figure out who he is? First off, Batman's only been around for one and a half years in this movie. I, I think, I, I would not be surprised at all to see the Riddler being a sort of, I don't want to say a puppet, because then maybe that would take away from the significance of, of him as a villain, but maybe was nudged a little bit by the Court of Owls, or maybe was given information that revealed that Bruce Wayne was Batman, because maybe they've known this whole time. That would be awesome. Another hint that I saw in the trailer was if you look really closely in a couple of the frames when he is shooting his grappling gun and he's flying up those stairs, you can actually make out somebody on one of those staircases or hallways or whatever you want to call it. He has on a white mask. Now, it is not clear enough to tell if that is a Court of Owls mask or maybe it's nothing at all. Maybe it's nothing at all, but I would venture to guess that the Court of Owls are in this movie in a very small, hidden background role, almost akin to how Thanos was in the MCU early beginnings. You know, like Guardians of the Galaxy. I would not be surprised at all to see a, a huge parallel and a huge comparison between the Court of Owls and Thanos in that movie in particular. So, end credits tease anybody? I don't know. I, I don't know, but man, that would be awesome, because if you do not know, 
the Court of Owls. And first off, if you guys can hear my dogs, I apologize. I have four dogs and I do everything I can to keep them quiet. And my two kids and another one on the way, it is damn near impossible. I've got a little studio I built here, but even then they still make it through sometimes. So I apologize for my dogs, uh, my dog Loki in particular. He, uh, he loves to whine. He loves to whine. So I apologize if you can hear that. But the Court of Owls were first introduced in Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's New 52 Batman comic series back in 2011. They were revealed to be a secret order of some of Gotham's powerful elite, working from the shadows of the city since its very foundation. They represented what Batman did not know about Gotham and the mysteries he had yet to uncover in a city he believed he knew inside and out. The court provided a formidable villain. They pushed Batman to the edge. They had large numbers. They had a twisted labyrinth, dangerous assassins, and those assassins were called Talons, which is actually what you see at the very end of the Gotham Knights trailer, the little tease they had there, which was really cool. Those are the Talons, and they sleep for years and years, and in some cases over a 100 years. A Talon could be in a deep sleep and then activated... I mean, they're basically invincible. They're basically as good at martial arts and fighting as Batman is. And I just think the Court of Owls should be further explored. Not that BS version we got in the Gotham show. That Court of Owls was so weak. It was such trash. I hated it. I could not stand the Court of Owls interpretation we got in, in Gotham. In fact, I could say that about a lot of Gotham. I still did like Gotham, though. In the long run, I actually thought Gotham was a decent show. If you if you take away the, the problem that Batman is a young boy while all of his villains are coming to their prime, then if you can look at it as an Elseworlds story, I think it's a pretty good story. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the final episode, and that Joker, I think, was an abomination of all kinds. But you know what? I thought it was a decent show. So the Court of Owls could be revealed as a shadowy organization further down the line with Matt Reeves' Batman trilogy, and their threat could be stretched out over multiple films until they finally decide to reveal themselves and strike. I mean, hell, you look at it that way, they could be lying in the weeds for two movies and then come to their epic conclusion as they reveal themselves in the third movie. I have no clue if any of this is going to happen. I can only sit and hope and just wait for this film to come out. All right, I've got another big time rumor for you guys here. This one in particular has been gaining a lot of steam over the past few days as scoopers over at the Illuminati are claiming outright that Starro is in the Suicide Squad and is the main antagonist of the film. They are also putting out the rumor that Taika Waititi has been tapped to play the star-shaped villain. First off, if he could do, if Taika Waititi could do a voice kind of kind of similar to his Korg voice, which I know a lot of people hated for Korg and did not fit that character in particular, but if you take that aspect away from it, I thought it was a pretty funny voice and I thought Korg was a great, hilarious character. If you take that aspect and put a twist on it, change it up a little bit, and imagine that as Starro, oh my god, the, the possibilities are hilariously endless that you could do with this. Now, if you look very closely in some of the Suicide Squad behind-the-scenes videos and photos, it looks very much like some of these soldiers in the background and that are on the ground 
have a star latched to their face. Now, even before DC Fandom came out, Splash Report had teased that Starro was the main villain of the movie, but it wasn't really until footage from the event was poured over that Starro the Conqueror's involvement was uncovered. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Starro the Conqueror, and then I want to talk a little bit more about this movie. Now, Starro the Conqueror was a major villain that actually premiered way back in 1960. His first appearance was in Brave and the Bold number 28, and he was created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. Now, he goes by Starro. His species is Star Conqueror. His place of origin is Star Planet. And his affiliations are with the teams The Secret Society of Supervillains and, more recently, the Sinestro Corps. Now, all versions of Starro have the abilities of mind control, biofission, energy absorption and projection, color shifting, and regeneration. Now, the humanoid version has the ability of mass consciousness, telepathy, superhuman strength, endurance, invulnerability, longevity, psionic empowerment, flight, generation and conversion of Starro spores. Now, Starro, in most iterations, is able to have a mass consciousness where he has a lot of smaller versions of himself that can latch on to the Justice League and many other people's faces. The Justice League one I mentioned because he has very famously taken over the Justice League at times. But he has these smaller versions that are part of his mass consciousness that can latch on to faces and basically render you paralyzed, uh, take over your mind, many different things he can do based on what version we're going off of here. But all in all, Starro is an intelligent alien life form resembling a giant starfish with a central eye and prehensile extremities. The entity visited Earth and empowered three starfish. These three starfish creatures wreaked absolute havoc. Starro eventually reappeared recently, and forced humans to nurture it until it was able to assume its former proportions. Being able to asexually spawn, Starro created millions of miniature duplicate spores of itself which attached to the faces of the entire population of New York and rendered them under his mental control. That aspect right there is the one I wanted to mainly mention and talk about because that is what looks like is going on in the background of the Suicide Squad. It looks like there is a few people that have these Starro spores attached to their face. Now, I don't know what iteration they would be going with. I don't know exactly their plans with Starro, and I don't even know if Starro is in this film at all. Who knows? We have seen so many examples of behind-the-scenes pictures that have been poured over and just been completely construed in the wrong way, and maybe it's something completely different. Who the hell knows? But it's always fun to speculate, for sure. Now, The Suicide Squad. Is this movie a reboot? Is this movie a sequel? What is this exactly? Well, really the only thing we have to go off at this point is a producer of The Suicide Squad firmly described it as a total reboot back in March of 2019, explaining that this is why the movie is called The Suicide Squad, as opposed to Suicide Squad 2. 
But see, it's clearly not a total reboot because it features four returning characters and cast members from Ayer's movie. Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, and Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. The roll call teaser even begins with Amanda Waller saying, You know the deal. An acknowledgement that audiences are already familiar with the Suicide Squad setup. And James Gunn himself described it in the behind-the-scenes teaser as a gritty 1970s war movie. So, the Suicide Squad has a similar premise to Suicide Squad, but it's definitely not a total remake. The four returning characters are joined by 13 new characters, and they've been recruited for a very different mission. Now, Gunn has also strongly indicated that the movie will have a high body count, and that audiences should not get too attached to the characters, giving the impression that this is a standalone story. Of course, that certainly does not preclude the possibility of a sequel if the movie is a massive success, which I predict it definitely will be. Now, my best guess is that they're going to treat this much like Harley Quinn's last adventure, Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey offered a possible model for how the Suicide Squad's relationship to David Ayer's movie might work, because Birds of Prey acknowledged the existence of Suicide Squad, for example, when Harley sees a wanted poster for Captain Boomerang, she goes, Hey, I know that guy. I just watched the movie again last night. But it did not get hung up on trying to connect its plot to the end of Suicide Squad. Instead, it delivered a standalone story that begins with Harley and the Joker breaking up, which fans can assume happened sometime after Mr. J busted her out of prison. Another possible explanation might come retroactively in The Flash, the first solo movie for Ezra Miller's big screen version of Barry Allen, it features a plot inspired by the DC comic story Flashpoint, and The Flash will introduce the concept of the multiverse. So, maybe it is a different version of the Suicide Squad. That would actually explain everything. If it was in another universe, another standalone movie, that still has somewhat ties to other movies before it, like, they could name drop a few things here and there. Maybe this Suicide Squad and this other universe, you know, had very similar missions that David Ayer's Suicide Squad had. I don't know, but I do know that while Suicide Squad, David Ayer's Suicide Squad, this shit gets confusing, I know. While David Ayer's Suicide Squad did have good box office numbers, guys, if you don't remember, it was trashed. It was ripped apart by critics and fans alike. So I know that Warner Brothers knows that. I know James Gunn knows that, and I think that we can all sit down and be confident that James Gunn and Warner Brothers has worked this thing out, because I will mention once again, James Gunn is supposed to have total control over this movie and a big hand in the DCEU going forward. Now, Justice League The Snyder Cut may have possibly had its release date leaked. So, Screen Rant a favorite news source of mine, said this about the whole thing. While Snyder did not say anything specific about his Justice League release date during DC Fandom, it may have inadvertently been leaked on a DC Press Portal website. A title page reveals that the project will roll out on September 5th, 2021, according to this user. Now, Screen Rant did reach out to Warner Brothers and HBO Max to confirm the date, and uh, HBO Max and Warner Brothers confirmed that the date is not accurate. Now, they also asked if it was a placeholder date that could have been changed, specifically if they swapped the attached fact sheet to the Zack Snyder's Justice League page. 
and they did not receive a response. They did say they will follow up again and will update accordingly. But I bring this up because we have seen on multiple occasions studios shoot down release dates and then a few months later, the date pops back up and what do you know? It was real. Not saying that's what's going on here. September, I would hope not because September 5th, 2021 is a long time away. If it really is going to come out then, that really does show me that they are allowing Snyder to go in and change things here and maybe add more, which that could be cool. But man, I would love the Snyder Cut sooner rather than later. And to finish up DC Weekly here, I just wanted to touch up on the McFarlane Toys DC Multiverse Dark Knights Metal line. Because one of McFarlane Toys' biggest reveals at San Diego Comic Con this past July was a new wave of 7-inch figures from the DC Comics Dark Knights Metal storyline. An absolute killer comic art-wise and story-wise I went nuts over that whole thing I love the I have so many collectibles associated with it and if you guys know me you know I am a huge collector have not been nearly as big of a collector in these hard times but still I would love to pick these up each of these new releases include a piece that can be combined to assemble the merciless build a figure if you want to add these figures to your collection now would be the time as pre-orders went live on Amazon last week and very quickly sold out. However, Walmart has just added stock of their own. And with that, we are going to switch things up a little bit and head on over to Pop C Weekly so we can talk about the big Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War reveal trailer. Alright, after about a month of speculation, breadcrumb leaving, tempting and pissing me off. They finally revealed the trailer for Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Now, where there was no focus on multiplayer in this trailer, once again, pissing me off, they are trying to spread that out into September 9th. Now, the trailer finally debuted within Warzone, and there's a special little Warzone mission that you can do for a couple of hours each day until August 29th, where you can get some cool little merch and a, a Bay of Pigs blueprint, uh, which actually really isn't that cool, but I guess it would be cool to have it. The trailer finally revealed itself within the confines of Warzone, and then a couple minutes later online, which we all knew was, <laughs> was going to happen. Now, with the no focus on multiplayer, the trailer heavily emphasized the campaign for the game. The opening of the trailer actually details the time frame of the all-new single-player experience dating from 1968 all the way to 1981. The campaign is set to take players all over the world, including visits to Vietnam, Russia, and the office of the President of the United States of America himself. The trailer also uncovered some more information on Perseus, the Soviet agent allegedly attempting to infiltrate North American nuclear development. With Perseus in play, a crack team of special agents have been assembled by a new character, but the team are full of recognizable faces. CIA agent Hudson and Black Ops protagonist Alex Mason can all be seen sitting around the table of the president, while in Vietnam, Sergeant Frank Woods makes his return. Now, according to Charlie Intel, players will be able to create their very own character for the campaign, a refreshing change to playing as one of the main protagonists. And the objective is very clear. Stop Perseus from infiltrating and move the world away from the brink of a nuclear apocalypse. 
Now, during an action-packed sequence, a familiar Black Ops killstreak makes its return. Having been teased throughout Warzone and the Easter Egg, a fully built iteration of the RCXD whizzes along the floor and causes a wave of carnage. Now, fear not multiplayer fans, as I mentioned, the full multiplayer reveal is coming on September 9th. However, towards the very end of this trailer, we got a very small snippet of multiplayer that can be seen showing off a range of killstreaks including an RCXD, a chopper gunner, and a range of vehicles for players to traverse the map in style. The small clip also showed a large open desert map, a complete contrast to traditional three-lane map design. That got me pretty excited when I saw that because I saw the huge open area. I love open area maps and I also love small, small maps like Shoot House and Shipment are obviously two of the best maps on the whole Modern Warfare game. And while I love the Modern Warfare reboot game as a whole, the maps are the biggest weakness of that game. And I think Treyarch are some of the best map developers here. Now, they also brought on Raven to help finish the development, so they should be bringing some of Raven's map design as well, even though Raven had a big hand uh, in the Modern Warfare games. But hopefully, they can combine with Treyarch and make one hell of an inventory of great maps in this game. And as Call of Duty News, Charlie Intel on Twitter pointed out that Raven was actually already in the process of concepting a Cold War title, so the partnership was damn near perfect. Now, Call of Duty News on Twitter also points out that one of the campaign missions was a flashback to Vietnam. The mission is being dubbed as the most unique mission in Call of Duty history. Now, I feel like we hear things like that with every Call of Duty title, but this mission actually resets itself and makes you go back through on another path. It is the typical Black Ops mindfuckery type mission. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Black Ops used to love doing that stuff. Now, some more information on this. The open beta will be available first on PS4, as PlayStation has partnered with Black Ops Cold War and Call of Duty once again. Another bit of news here, or a bit of uh, detail, I guess. The Black Ops Cold War Know Your History teaser trailer from last week was actually the very first video Raven Software ever made to set the tone and mood for the game's campaign. It was actually made a couple years back when they started development of this campaign. Now, the game will indeed have four main modes. Campaign, multiplayer, zombies, zombies making a return finally, and Warzone. I still don't have the details on how they're going to do that quite yet, although I don't imagine they will change it up very much. I would imagine that the missions that you go on now, like the scavenger mission and all that, I believe that those are going to be repurposed and turned into deniable operations that would fit with the Cold War theme, and they have been talking about deniable operations being part of the game all along. Now, just like Modern Warfare, Black Ops Cold War will have free post-launch DLC and the ability to earn base weapons by just playing the game. Thank God. Thank you for not being the Avengers game, Call of Duty. I really appreciate that. And by pre-ordering the game, you can get the land, sea, and air pack available in the Ultimate Edition of Black Ops Cold War. And on that subject, you actually have to pay an additional $10 or $20 to get a version that will be for the current gen and the next gen. 
And Activision has also confirmed that standard edition of the games for the upcoming PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X will be $69.99 as opposed to the normal $59.99. Is this setting the trend for games going forward to be more expensive? I mean, how much more expensive can they get? My god. Now, Activision does also say that those who buy the digital standard edition on PS4 or Xbox One will be allowed to upgrade to PS5 or Xbox Series X for $10. Okay, so now it's being dubbed at a $10 charge to upgrade your PS4 or Xbox One X version into a PS5 and Xbox Series X version. And at the Black Ops Cold War press release, Treyarch stated that they will deliver a steady stream of free post-launch content including multiplayer maps, modes, and zombies experiences. So it looks like zombies experiences will be free as well. This game is being led by Treyarch and Raven Software with additional development support from High Moon Studios, Beanox, Activision Shanghai, and Sledgehammer Games. Guys, I love Sledgehammer Games. I thought that their version of Call of Duty, which was Advanced Warfare, was actually very well done. I know a lot of people didn't like the exosuits that they added in that game, but I, however, did. I thought that that game struck a very shockingly well-balanced to a hybrid of Halo and Call of Duty, and I thought the zombies experience was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it was basically zombies all up on steroids with exosuits. Just imagine zombies being able to jetpack around with extra strength coming at you. It, it was great. It was fantastic. And I'm so upset that Sledgehammer was never given the ability to continue upon that franchise and that series because I really liked Advanced Warfare and I would I would still play it today if I had the chance. Now, as more news information and more trailers come out, I will keep you updated here on Pop Culture Underground. Now, let's go ahead and hit up the very last segment of this longer episode, Marvel Weekly. First and only subject I have for Marvel Weekly this week, hell, this week, nowadays, seems like we don't have anything for Marvel, as I mentioned earlier, but we do have something big here. We have the very first New Mutants movie review. Now, remember, I have not seen this film. I do not plan on seeing this film in theaters. Once it hits streaming or able to be on digital, I will watch it immediately and give my own take, opinion, and review on the film. But for now, we are going to have to settle for THR's Jordan Mincer. He has finally given the very first review for the highly anticipated and repeatedly delayed New Mutants. It is in, and Jordan Mincer is calling it generic and an eye-rolling case of deja vu, unfortunately. So, Josh Boone's upcoming film is one of the most highly anticipated yet unlucky superhero movie in years. It was filmed three years ago. The New Mutants was initially scheduled for release back in 2018, but has been delayed multiple times over the years due to potential reshoots, schedule changes, and a studio merger that threatened the film's release entirely, which I touched up on a bit earlier in the episode. Disney eventually rescheduled the film's release to April of this year, but just when there seemed to be an end in sight... Rona rained down and forced another delay for the New Mutants. Now the film is set to release in theaters on August 28th. Now, the New Mutants was initially intended to be the first of a trilogy, 
Don't think that's going to happen anymore. But those plans were ruined due to the constant delays. It is now intended to be the last installment of Fox's X-Men film series. You know, funny, I'm pretty sure that they were calling X-Men Dark Phoenix the last X-Men movie. In fact, I believe that was a major part of their marketing, and it seemed like the only way they can build any anticipation for the movie was by calling it the final movie in the X-Men franchise. Now, The New Mutants follows five teenage mutants discovering their powers while held in a secret facility. The cast includes Macy Williams playing Wolfsbane, Anya Taylor-Joy playing Magic, a, a great iteration of Magic if the trailer is uh, any idea to go by with that. She looks great in the trailer. Charlie Heaton as Cannonball, Blue Hunt as Mirage, and Henry Zaga as Sunspot. God, I hope I said his last name right. The New Mutants has been described as combining the superhero genre with the horror genre, supposedly giving it much darker elements than most superhero movies. However, the film's first review is in, and it does not have many good things to say at all. The New Mutants' first review from THR calls it generic and eye-rolling. Jordan Mincer began the review by writing, If you've never seen a teen movie, a superhero movie, and a silent-set psychological thriller, Nightmare on Elm Street, or a single episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, then perhaps the New Mutants will be something of an eye-opening experience. <laughs> After referring to the film as an eye-rolling case of deja vu, Mentor goes on to write, Generic, and at its best, straining to be heartfelt. Director Josh Boone's adaption of the Marvel spinoff comic series is a Marvel movie spinoff in its own right, making vague references to the X-Men franchise, but attempting to stand on its own. Unfortunately, it rarely does. He goes on to write that the film is not as scary as it should be, suggesting the PG-13 rating keeps it from reaching its full potential. Unfortunately, there won't be as many reviews for The New Mutants as there usually would be. Screen Rant, along with other publications, has decided against reviewing The New Mutants, including me, due to safety concerns. This decision was made after Disney announced the film will only do screenings in markets that are open, causing the film to lose out on many would-be reviews, and sadly, The Mutants has had a tough ride. So, this first review is not a good sign. Of course, moviegoers will have to make their own decisions about The New Mutants, but I think I can hazard a guess to what those might be. Alright guys, on that sour ending note, that will be it for episode 4 of this show. And my god, what a ride this episode has been. I wish you guys could have listened to all of the behind-the-scenes shenanigans that went on, because there was quite a bit. In fact, you probably just heard my stupid neighbor's dog going off like the little shit it is. It, it is such a dumb little dog. My dogs are so much cooler than that dog. And uh, I, I don't even know what else to say about that dog. I, I hate that dog. I can't stand that dog. So, whatever. Screw the dog. We're, we're getting into supercast territory here. So, if you enjoyed this episode, <laughs> please go leave a... You know what? Maybe I shouldn't ask for a review right now. <laughs> Maybe I should just hold that off for the next one. No, but in all seriousness... Please go review the show on uh, Apple Podcast and anywhere else that you can leave a review. I need reviews. Brand new show. I got to get the word out there. And also, guys, I, I really, back to seriousness here, I want to sincerely thank you guys because the numbers 
for the first few episodes have really blown my expectations away. I, I didn't expect much. I expected 10 to 20 listens, maybe at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I have been on a hiatus for a long time. Nobody, absolutely nobody knew this show was coming. I dropped it out of nowhere. I did not tell anyone besides maybe Kyle Cole was maybe the only person that knew it was coming because I asked him about the name. Other than that, I just dropped it and I just went for it. And now I'm going in head first. So if you enjoyed it, please let me know if you have any advice on maybe what I could change. Email the show at popsyunderground at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at popsyunderground and on Facebook at facebook.com slash popsyunderground. The Instagram page is up and the YouTube page is up. I need to make some final adjustments and add some last minute details to those before I share them with the public. But on the next episode, they will be there. YouTube videos and more to come. Guys, once again, thank you so much. Always remember to save the world one podcast at a time. And I will see all of you, hopefully, on the next episode. Later. Later.